Welcome to episode 14 of the Bearded Carcast. I am Mike Pacheco, Dave Friedman alongside. It sounds great because we're in my kitchen. We're not on the road this week. It's a great place to be during March Madness. So long as there's a TV and there's basketball, there's nowhere I'd rather be. Glad to be joined in studio here in my kitchen at the kitchen table with our good friend Paul Biancardi from ESPN. We saw Paul last week at the Big South Conference Tournament. And of course, this is a big week for all basketball fans. Paul, welcome to the Bearded Carcast. Well, thank you. I don't have a beard, but I am. You've got unbelievable hair. Best hair ever to appear on the Bearded Carcast. All right, I'll take that as a compliment. Thank you. Um, Welcome to the kitchen studio, by the way. We got flowers, we got fruit. We're all set up. And Louisville and Florida State. Doesn't get any better than that. As we tape this, well, from a coaching perspective, I mean, this has got to be, it's one of the culminations of, of your season. Sometimes you're on the bubble. Sometimes you need to, to play really well in the tournament to get an NCAA tournament bid. But as a coach, this has got to be, you're flying 10,000 miles an hour because you're coaching a game. You have to worry about the game coming up, but you can't worry about that until the game's over. So it's, it's a lot of moving parts this week for coaches. Especially in different leagues. When you look at the Power Five conferences, some of those teams know they're getting into the NCAA tournament, or at least the NIT, but that's not good enough anymore. And then you have teams that are in urgent mode. When you look at the mid-majors, like we did with Big South this year, the pressure is at an all-time high. There's only one way to get into the NCAA tournament, and there's a possibility of getting into the NIT. So I think the pressure is enormous for the, the leagues that are not uh, multiple bid leagues. What's the difference between a coach, a guy like Ray Harper, who always seems to be there, or Rick Bird, who always seems to be there when it counts, and a guy that might be really good but struggles in the tournament? You mean to get to the tournament? No, once you're in the tournament. Some coaches are better than others. Why? Well, that's a great question that I don't have the exact answer to. Um, some people just have a really good feel for their team. Um, I honestly think this, after doing it for such a long time, and I said this on the Big South, I think you have to keep your team loose. I think a lot of coaches are uptight when the NCAA tournament games come. Enormous pressure. You're the only game going on in the nation, um, even though they do have those staggering times. And, you know, the fanfare, the media, the crowd, sometimes the pressure can overwhelm you. And if you don't, have a looseness about you. You got to be focused and you got to be intense. I, and I think that's going to be a given. But I think today's coach has to keep their team a little bit loose. I don't know if that's a reason why those guys are successful and others are not. But I think that's one key now in the NCAA tournament that I'm looking at. So when you look at a bracket that comes out next week for the NCAA tournament and you start kind of breaking down teams and you see an old school coach like a Bob Huggins and they're going to pour over film and they're going to show the 18 and 19 year olds hours of film as they try to scout their opponent. Or you take a guy like Mike Bray and obviously both Huggins and Bray have had tremendous success. Mike's much more hands off, less film, more loose. Does one play or work better than the other? No, no, because you, you're going to be best when you are who you are, your identity. And the identity for West Virginia is to full-court press the whole game, turn you over, 
get layups on the other side if possible and not make it a half-court game and just beat you up on the boards and in the paint. Mike Bray, they want to play a little bit more of a faster game. They have four. They, they want to play a faster game offensively. They want to kind of grind you with that their defenses, I think, uh, more so than their offense. If Mike Bray could shoot the ball every seven to ten seconds, I think he'd be happy. And he gives his guys the green light. Now, both of those guys, Dave, to me – keep their teams loose. Even though Huggins is like a big, ferocious bear, and my daughter says he's the meanest guy in college basketball. I love him. I do, too. Um, and I love Mike Bray. And they are different. But Huggins, if you watch his team, they're not looking over their shoulder, looking back at him, saying, what right. do I do? He, They know what to do. He coaches them in the timeout. He's coached them in practice. So they know what they have to do. They play through mistakes. They play through runs. And the same thing for Mike Bray. That's what I look at. How does a team play through when there's a run coming at them? You know, how do they play through that run? Do they look over their shoulder? You know, coach has got to call timeout. But then how do they Unless respond? Unless you're Greg Marshall who doesn't call timeouts. Well, some guys believe that the players should fight through the situation yeah. themselves. And some guys want to. You know, the Pete Gillen, you know, call a timeout after the ball gets yeah. thrown up. You know, Pete, <laughs> Pete would use five timeouts before the first TV timeout. That was a great stat in the Wichita State-Cincinnati game from Sunday where they called a timeout in that game, and it was only the 30th timeout he's called all season. Wow. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that. So, And Chuck Daly didn't call any timeouts with the Dream Team. Some guys would rather their guys figure it out, like you said. Well, it gets figured out in practice, though. Don't, don't think that Greg Marshall is just saying, you know what, guys, you do it on your own. Right. I'm here if you need me. <laughs> he goes over those scenarios in practice, you know, up eight, two minutes to go, down 10, one minute to go. Um, coaches work on all different types of end-of-game situations and, and different scenarios. I want to talk about end-of-game situations because I think that's an interesting thing. We talked about the, the before we went on the air about the Carlick Jones play in Radford and had that big three, 13 seconds left. And they were in a similar situation against High Point. Radford was a couple weeks ago, and they didn't have a successful play. When you come to the tournament, how much of when you call that play with 13 seconds to go or 20 seconds to go is – is, is feel and how much of is it that you've maybe thought about it in in practice and done all these different situations I mean, how, how does it kind of how do you put together the stew to figure out what to do in, in late game situations well you've rehearsed the play many times by this time of the year there's no question about it you've also rehearsed this is what the defense could do you know for example on that Carly Jones a double high ball screen that play that Radford ran or lack of a play. It wasn't as sophisticated as you would have liked. That's there wasn't enough time to be. I want something going to the rim. There, exactly, but there wasn't enough time to be sophisticated. But so you walk through. Okay, if they trap him, then there's a throwout pass, right. and and this is who's going to be available. The second screener, if you watch that, two two guys screen. First guy rolled to Did the basket. Did they switch? No. The second screener actually didn't screen. He he set a screen, made a quick slip. He popped. Okay, so there was no hedge. There was no trap on Carleek Jones. It was one-on-one. -on -one. Yep. Shot clock was winding down. He made the right read. I mean, if he doesn't shoot it, they don't get a shot off. I would have thought and liked if he could have went to the basket, but he didn't see a path, obviously. Right. So, I mean, he hit the shot, which is fantastic. I think, A, you want to be going towards the rim, and B, I think your best player should touch the ball at the end of the game. Right. Well, he, he's certainly a clutch player. I think Ed Polite is their best player. Right. Or Carly Jones showed us a lot of onions, as yeah. our man Bill Rafferty <laughs> right. would say, um, you know, to, to, to take the shot and make it. So the one thing I'll say about going to the rim, you know, he didn't see a path. And sometimes if you drive it into a crowd, yeah. sure. you know, you have nothing. 
he hit a hope and a prayer. Yeah, but it, but but it, went, in. It. But it went in. So the end-of-game situations have been rehearsed. They've been rehearsed what the defense can do. These are our bailout options uh, and so forth. So it's been rehearsed numerous times, and, and it's been taught like what the defense could do in this situation. But I think Mike's question, and I think it's a good one, is let's take a foul-up three situation. Is that a philosophy or is it a feel? We're going to see teams, and I'm going to kill them if they don't foul up three over the next several weeks. The statistics tell you that that is the correct play to make the foul. And some teams will and some teams won't, and it'll work and it won't work because there'll be so many games. The volume will be high enough. But do you have a philosophy or is it a feel during the course of the game? No, I think it's something that you've discussed in October during the course of the year because October is when you have your preseason meetings. Dave, I think your point is is absolutely correct um, about the statistics. A friend of mine worked for the Mavericks, and he said Mark Cuban did a study, and the study came back, the probability that if you foul with six seconds or less, the chances are you know, you're going to win the game. Now, there's a lot of extenuating circumstances to that foul game. Where's the ball taken out? Right. In the backcourt, frontcourt. How good a three-point shooting team are you playing against? And, and how good of a defensive team are you? Um, the other thing a lot of coaches have been talking about recently, and I talked to Pete Gillen about this, you know, under seven or eight, yeah, we'll foul. Less than three, we may not foul. We, we right. just, you know, at this point, we're not going to foul less than three. So there's like a three to eight-second Diff, you know, gap that that's when they would foul based on where is the ball. Because if it's in the front court in any way, shape, or form, you, you don't want to risk that fact of shot, foul, made basket, four-point play. You want to commit that foul somewhere right over half court where if they do shoot it, okay, it's it's a heave. And and pra- and you have to practice to foul. It's, it's like taking charges. You have to get in the, the habit of understanding when to foul. With Mike Pacheco, Dave Friedman, it's our bearded car cast from our home studio in Mike's living room. We're joined by Paul Biancardi. Which is much better than Mike's bedroom. <laughs> that, that would be questionable. We're joined by Paul Biancardi from ESPN watching a piece of championship week with the NCAA tournament starting next week. When you look at the teams that will fill in the NCAA tournament, and they're always going to be that 69th and 70th team that don't make it, not speaking of specific teams, but of leagues, what league do you feel is the best this year? In college basketball? Yeah. I, I often ask myself that question. This oh, is it's a what, tough one this year. Yeah, that's what I do at night. You know, I, I don't, don't think it's I, that I, tough. I don't stay up till three in the morning like you. You didn't watch BYU and St. Mary's two nights ago. Sorry about that. I, one. Inexcusable. <laughs> How are you going to measure whether the Gales should get one of those last slots? Emmett Nar, best point guard in America. No one talks about him. He leads the country in assists. Yes, you're you're absolutely right. I I'm not doing my job. But, Jock uh, Landale? I know who he is. He's very good. Um, I, I've gone back and forth with it. It's been, in my mind, it's the ACC or the Big 12. Um, and, you know, talking to the coaches in each league, you know, the Big 12 coaches really, truly feel like there wasn't an easy game. And in the past, there was. There were teams that were really down. Yeah. And you could get a win even on their home court. Wasn't the case this year. But I'm going to ask you a question, and then we can turn it over to Mike. Okay, with that being said, which league has the best teams that have a chance to get to a Final Four? Right, that's, that's a different question. Right, because 
when you look at the Big 12, and again, we talked about how much we like Huggins, Kansas is the only team that it appears on paper is good enough to go to the Final Four. No? Who do you like? Texas Tech. Really? All the experience. One thing you got to understand, only because I've been through it, when you get out of this conference tournament and your name's up on the board and you're playing the other name, it is the most refreshing feeling that you can experience in the last three months, except maybe going to the bathroom, okay? Because you're seeing somebody that you've never seen before. They've never seen you. There's a newness to it. Your stuff that you couldn't get off during the conference tournament or at the end of the season will work now. Um, And it's really hard to prepare. The teams with the better talent usually win those games or the team with the most experience. So my my point to you is this. when you get out of conference, don't, ignore what goes on now. This has nothing to do with conference tournament play. Right. Has zero to do with the NCAA tournament, in my yeah. Opinion. I think that's a great right. point because the pressure that West Virginia applies, the teams in the league see that over and over again. They become used to it, and maybe they can deal with it. Now you face someone in the conference in the NCAA tournament. They haven't seen pressure like that all year. Same thing with the Syracuse zone. The ACC teams are used to it. Maybe you throw a zone on someone like they did in 2003. None of those Big 12 teams in 2003 had seen 40 minutes of zone like that. Obviously, it worked out to win a national title. That being said, it seems to me that Duke and Virginia have done an awful lot this year. And maybe Duke is even underachieved to a degree, but those two teams have a better chance to win a national championship than anybody in the Big 12. Agree or disagree? Duke is 25-6. and six. Right. How is that underachieving? Well, they're the preseason favorite to win it, and now they're something like the third or fourth choice. Well, they weren't the preseason favorite to go undefeated. No. I think you're being a little harsh. I think they have the most talent in the country. If you have to pick one team, would you pick Duke? Talent? No. Who do you think is going to win the national title? I still like Michigan State. I think I think they have a complete team. I think they have an experienced team. I think they have the size. They have the uh, shooting. They have the point guard play. They have a coach who's won it. Um, I would never pick Duke to win a national championship, and I'm, I'm, I hope I'm wrong because I'd love to see those kids win it. Yeah. I, I know all those freshmen very well, and Grayson Allen, um, and, and I'm happy for whoever wins it. There's no way that I see a team that is 90% freshman winning a national championship. I see Michigan State, but your point about Duke is I, I don't think they've underachieved at all. I think they had some bumps, like every team's sure. going to have bumps. And let me tell you about freshmen. They are like a roller coaster. Right. They go really high and they go really low. I could see Duke being down in the ACC conference tournament, double figure points, making a great comeback. I can see them up double figures with five minutes to go and give the game away. Youth. That's what happens. But do you think in the Big 12, beyond Kansas, and now you're suggesting Texas Tech, and that, that that's fine. You think there are more teams that have a chance to win the national title out of the Big 12 than the ACC? I look at North Carolina as like a sixth seed and go, they're pretty darn good now. And they're exactly the opposite, Duke, very veteran-oriented. Yeah, I still like North Carolina because I think they got one of the best point guards in the country too. with Joel Berry. And their team has changed over the years. They're a shooting team now. We're Roy, And they still dominate the glass. Do you know they're the best rebounding team in the ACC? I would have thought it was Duke. They're one right. of the top five offensive and defensive rebounding teams yeah. in the country, I think. I, I think people are sleeping on Carolina because they won last year. They don't have mega star power, but they have a collection of stars. Um, and they have a couple of like some people have bad losses, like earlier in the season losing to yeah. Radford, or, uh, Wofford. Yeah, everyone's going to have – 
I think, a bad loss. Really, it, it's it's almost unthinkable for a team not to have a bad loss. It, it's not like football where there's 10 games. You have right. one bad That's loss, and everybody's like, oh, my gosh, they can't win the national championship. They have one loss, or they have one bad loss. Basketball, one bad loss doesn't mean anything. Might make you better. Two bad losses don't make you – really doesn't make a difference. It's, it's how are you playing down the stretch and, and getting to Duke – Look at their numbers. The last seven games, their defense has been Tremendous. unbelievable. Yeah. It's been 90% zone. Their defensive field goal percentage, under 40. They're allowing, uh, you know, like 50, 57 points a game, which is unheard of. Pick them. I still wouldn't pick them because they're going to face an experienced team down the road here in the NCAA tournament. It could be from any conference, okay? And I think that that experience may get them one night. Um I wouldn't be shocked if they got to the Final Four, but I would be shocked if they won a national championship with that youth. But you just told us how much talent they have. How could that be talent shocking? Doesn't, talent doesn't mean you're going to win. Well, of course it doesn't mean you're going to win, but do, do you think it's a wide-open bracket this year? I mean, to be shocked that Duke's going to win it, that would mean almost anything is shocking. I mean, you, you wouldn't be shocked if Villanova won it. No, because they're, they're more... I, I, I look at experience yeah, in the Paul's Final Four. I, I'm favoring experience. So Purdue... At, that's my team to get to a Final Four. I had them in the battle for Atlantis. I love their shooting. I, I love their. Maybe their, you're their, a show for a bad Big Ten with Purdue and Michigan State. I don't. I just like their experience, and I like. Look, we all love talent. You need talent to win it. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'm concerned about Duke's youth. Trayvon Duval or Duval, however he pronounces his name now, is the key in my opinion. When I looked at their losses, bad or good losses, I took a, a quick look this morning. When he has more turnovers than assists, that's when Duke struggles. So he has to have a low turnover game for Duke. I think when he has a low turnover game, I think Duke's going to beat anybody. Welcome back to the Bearded Carcast. We're actually in my kitchen, not my living room. Although Dave has been in the bedroom, and I'll explain. Ah. I'll, and I'll explain. No, that, that's a funny story. Paul Biancardi joining us here on the Bearded Carcast. First time, Paul, that Dave uh, came over to the house. It was for Thanksgiving, and John was probably I don't know what four, five, six, something like, something that. like that. So uh, my John says, Dave, let me give you a tour of the house. So he takes John upstairs. Uh, takes Dave upstairs. And <laughs> took him into <laughs> took him into all the different parts of the house, and then he goes, Dave, this is my parents' bedroom. <laughs> It's like okay, welcome, welcome to the house. Fortunately, it was uh, we'd cleaned that day. So Who knew years later it would be our studio? No, not the bedroom, <laughs> the kitchen. <laughs> so you brought up Michigan State. You think that they're going to win the national championship? You have, they have the best chance to win the national championship. Does it concern you that at every press conference along the way they are asked about several different scandals that have engulfed their campus? No, n not at all, um, because those. Scandals, or those allegations, or whatever is going on, and, and we know there was some serious stuff going on, uh, I think, outside the basketball program, uh, and it may be inside, I'm not sure, but I think those have been put on hold, and I think the university has vetted out a lot of that, and if there was a major problem, in my opinion, they would have done something by now. They might have suspended Coach Izzo or, or whatever they had to do. The stuff with Miles Bridges is not an issue. But it's going to be asked about. Yeah, but but he, endlessly. But he can I think Coach Izzo continues to answer it the same fashion. He does. So after a while, the media is going to not ask that question anymore. Now, when the last game's over, they're going to ask those questions. But I don't think it's going to be a distraction. No, not in any way. Those kids are way too focused. And to be honest, 
you know, kids are resilient and, and somewhat selfish at times. They're thinking about themselves and their team and they're filtering out all that noise. And, and I think Tom Izzo has dealt with it in, in a wonderful way. And I think he'll continue to deal with it. He's been to how many? Six? Oh, yeah. He's, Final he's fours? Tremendous. Yeah. But you've talked about the Big 12 being so deep. There's no easy game. That's the opposite of the Big 10 this year. There right. are three or four or five pretty good or really, really good teams. And then there's a bottom of the conference that just isn't particularly good. Do you think some of those Big 10 teams' records are inflated by playing sort of cakewalk sort of games? No, because you, we talked earlier, right? Bad losses. You know, everybody yeah. thought BC beating Duke was a bad loss. Well, BC right now has 18 wins and they're going for 19. Yeah. Any game in your league, even if the talent is different, the intensity is high. So you it, think they're just as battle tested? As I, I do. I do. I, I, you know, just because a league is soft at the bottom doesn't mean the teams at the top aren't good. It just means, you know, you had some games that you didn't have to sweat it out. Right. And it's not always, I mean, you got to play the schedule that you have. You can't really worry about whether, you know, your, your 18 game schedule is all tough games or whether it's, you know, four tough games. And yeah. the rest of, I mean, you play the games that are in front of you. And the teams in the middle of the Big Ten, I thought, were really solid. So I think they gave Purdue. Like who? I thought Indiana was solid this year. I thought they played everybody really tough. It would be really hard to tough. compare them to the middle of the ACC or the Big 12. Those teams are just better. Indiana is a growing program, a young coach. that They probably have high hopes for the future. But beating this year's Indiana team is not the same thing as beating one of the great Indiana teams. No, but when you beat them in Assembly Hall, it's really good. Even the bad teams in Indiana. Have you ever been to Assembly Hall? I have. It's unbelievable place. So for one game, they can really get up and they can beat somebody who's really good, even if they're down. But I just think, you know, even though they, they got – Easy wins, maybe, or easier wins. I, I don't think it changes the identity of Michigan State or Purdue because those guys challenge themselves in the non-conference. What about everything else going on with the FBI, this kind of cloud over the sport? How does that impact whether it be the playing of the tournament or the way it is looked at, the television ratings? Does that make any sort of a difference to what's happening right now? And then we'll ask later about what that does in the future. Yeah, I don't think it makes a difference right now because everybody, everybody is, in, you know, locked into the games. It's all about con conference tournaments like a lightning in a bottle, right? I mean, it's like who can get hot, you know, which team can rise to the top and, and win their conference tournament. And I think that that's, that's been the talk. And I think that's the focus of, of everybody right now, teams, players, even the people running the tournaments. And quite frankly, I think it's the media. Yeah. I think the media has put the investigations kind of on hold in the back of their mind. And then the NCAA tournament selection Sunday. When all that ends, though, this is going to be talked about <laughs> at a high level. And the discussion we had last week, it was last week or two weeks ago, I can't remember now, but uh, Dave asked me if I would view picking out my brackets differently knowing what's going on. And I said at the time, no, because nothing really new has advanced the story. In other words, um, if, you know, let's say you pick a school that maybe is embroiled in this conversation, does would that affect you from putting them deep in your bracket? I don't think it has that much of an impact unless something crazy happened. But like you said, there's nothing really advancing the story. So I don't know that it, that this stuff is – I think it's going to be more on the back burner than it is going to be on the front burner. As crazy as this sounds, I think it could help those teams rally together and, and really close – Us against the, the world. Yeah, but it's really just us against everyone in the world, and, and it could – could work in the reverse because don't forget all these teams, Arizona, 
Michigan State. They, they've been through all the distractions, right, the, the press conferences. It's over with until something yeah. new comes about. So I, I think it's going to – I think it's made them tougher. See, I, I disagree. And I, I think, think it's they made have to them... deal with that at every turn. There's and always someone asking the question. They but may I think be. You get used to, but I think you get used to it. Yeah, but they, they may be, and I, I think there always is going to be, but their records yeah. don't show that they're distracted at all. Right. Or maybe Arizona gets to play a terrible Cal team and a terrible Oregon State team and a bad Washington State team and only had to play UCLA once and lost at Oregon. And maybe they just are a lot better because they're not playing a great schedule. Well, they, they could obviously have more wins unless the Pac-12 was stronger. But, you know, they still had to play those games. And the one thing I can tell you about those teams at the bottom of your conference at, at this time of the year, whether it's the tournament or the end of the season, those guys are playing with urgency because, like, that's the biggest game on their schedule. If Washington State could ever beat Arizona, you know, it, it, it's, it's like, you know, it's like a Super Bowl. So when you play in your league, there's a lot of urgency and intensity that supersedes talent. So if you can come away with a win on the road or at home, you're doing well. We're joined by Paul B. and Cardi on our Bearded Carcast. Be a part of the show. Tweet at us, hashtag Bearded Carcast. Send us an email, beardedcarcast at outlook.com. We can talk until the night gets very late and Bill Raftery gets very drunk about all of the Power Five teams that we watch time and time and time and time again. What about the other leagues? Is there somebody, a team, or a league that you've seen this year that you go, you know what, people are sleeping on these guys? Um, well, I, I guess it's a power league, but maybe it's not as the American. Yeah, I, it's, it's right in between. It's definitely more towards the power side of it. I think Cincinnati has a real chance to get to a Final Four. Um, and, you know, when I say get to, you, a lot of things have to go right. You have to have the makeup to get there you have to be lucky you have to be hot you know you have to be loose um you have to be confident there's, there's a lot of things the game within the game i like to say to get there but i i love cincinnati wichita state absolutely has the ability to do it and and i'll tell you what guys i do not if i'm a college basketball coach i do not want to play houston i completely oh, agree. and yeah. and there to me is a, a sweet 16 team so there's three teams and, and, you know, the truth of the matter is if you get to the Sweet 16, you can get to the Elite Eight. If you get to the Elite Eight, yeah, you can win the Unless Final you're four. Sean Miller, who gets to the Elite Eight but not the Final you Four. You are down on <laughs> Sean Miller in Arizona. Uh, how could you not be? Every year they have one of the best teams in the country, and every year they don't make the Final Four. That is true. That's a fact. But I would tell you this. To get to the Elite Eight is— It's a huge accomplishment. It's a huge accomplishment. They've won Pac-12 regular season— titles and pack Sean Miller tournaments. is a terrific coach unequivocally but at some point you have to do what Gonzaga did last year you have to take that final step and get to the final four yeah when's the last time Gonzaga got to the final four before last year right they hadn't but so, they finally got over that mountain last year and maybe Sean Miller will do it this year he has one of the most talented teams in the country though I do question whether the point guard play is good enough um, yeah, I agree with you on that. It, he's solid. Solid. And you know what? Solid may be good for that team. Maybe. It wasn't last year, though. Yeah, they didn't have DeAndre Ayton last year. That's he is, very, very true. He is a physical specimen who can dominate six games in a row. Agree that he's the number one pick in the draft? Um, I don't 
know if he's number one, but I, I think he's one or two. You have that young man from um, uh, Serbia overseas. A lot of our draft experts, uh, Jonathan Gavoni, have Be- him as one or two. Best player I- in America? Oh, Aiton? Yeah. No question about it. And, and I originally thought Bagley would be the number yeah. one yeah. pick, uh, but the physicality of Aiton, I think, will will notch him a little bit higher. Plus, his skill has gotten – it was already good. It's gotten better. It's been more productive. He's been more consistent. He was the knock on Aiton. In high school, he was lazy at times, and he looked bored with the game. Bagley never looked bored with the game, never was lazy. So I gave the nod to Bagley. But when you match them up, if they both play their A game, and right now, maybe a slight edge to Aiton as the number one pick. Maybe not the one or two pick, but where do you weigh in on Trey Young? You know, the game is played the way he plays it um, yeah. at the highest level. So he, he has a home right now in the game because of the ridiculous shooting ability and the range and the quickness he gets it off with. Now, he, he has deficiencies. We see it in college, you know, when he gets trapped or when people become physical with him. You know, what do you think is going to happen when he goes to the, the, to the big boy league? In the draft, um, you're going to pass up size to, to get him. I, I don't I, – you got Aiton, Bamba. You got Porter. Um, you got Bagley. I'm, I'm not taking Trey Young over any of those big guys. Uh, Wendell Carter. I love Wendell Carter. I think he can be a poor man's Elton Brand. So he, he, you love two guys on Duke, but still don't like Duke. I love Duke. I just don't think they can win a national championship. And you think two of the five best players in the country are on Duke, but they can't win the national? No, I said title. two of the uh, top draft, draft picks. picks. Okay, yeah. doesn't mean they're the best players. True. You have to separate talent from winning because right. just because you're talented does not mean you're going to win. But how many I, seniors did Syracuse have when they won it with Carmelo Anthony and Jerry McNamara? One that played. Grayson Allen's one. Yeah. Yeah. Mike Krzyzewski's pretty good. He's great. He's, he's what I'll question, maybe the best college basketball coach ever. I put him in the category of John Wooten. Uh, Wooden. I was thinking of Morgan Wooten. Uh, and, and Bobby Knight. That actually brings up something that I mentioned to Mike before the podcast today that I, that I do want to bring up. You talk about the greatest coaches of all time. Dean Smith is clearly one of those. And, and Mike, kind of some very sad news today out in North Carolina. Yeah, uh, Woody Durham, uh, longtime broadcaster for North Carolina, passed away today. And, of course, you know, we obviously send our condolences to his family. You know, we know Wes, and I know Taylor pretty well. I don't know if you know Taylor, yep. but um, never met Woody's wife. But, you know, Woody was great with us. You know, the few times I've interacted with him, just a true gentleman. And, and before you had to have great hair to be a star like you, you could be guys that had bearded carcasses and be talking. And Woody Durham, he gave you everything. If, if you're listening on the radio, you can't see the game. So the description right. gets you through. And he described on the ball and off the ball. He was fair to both teams. He had a cadence and a rhythm and a knowledge. He, he's one of the greats of all times. And it is a very sad loss. He had not been healthy, but it is something I thought we needed to acknowledge. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And we do send our condolences to the family. Michigan out of timeout. And Weber, front court, Carolina thought he'd travel with it. Weber, front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout. They're out of timeout. Technical foul. Technical foul on Michigan. They're out of timeout. Throws for three. No good. Front of the rim. Lynch with a rebound. Out at the belt. It's over. Carolina. The Tar Heels have won the national championship. 
second and seven, Carolina. Give to Bryant. Bryant, 30, 25, 20. Stepped out of the tackle. He's going again. 10, 5, touchdown, Calvin Bryant. Number five as the Tarboro Jr. goes 33 yards. And that is going, and he's breaking the ball to Steve Streeter. He gave the ball to Steve Streeter in the end zone. Welcome back to our Bearded CarCast with Mike Pacheco. I'm Dave Friedman. We're joined by Paul Biancardi from ESPN. This is one of those times of year that I don't know if coaches love or dread, but there is a lot of turnover, and there is a lot of guys getting jobs and guys losing jobs. Just in the last few minutes, I received the text message, Scott Cherry has been dismissed at high point. When you look at this time of year, whether it is now outside of the industry or previously inside how difficult or how exciting is this the season ends for a scott cherry or for a pat kelsey or for uh unc greensboro going to the ncaa tournament and you know that your agent is fielding calls good bad unsettling it's a weird business where at just one point in the year all of a sudden there's utter chaos and that's why it's called madness right, right. and it only happens in march yeah, unfortunately that Scott Cherry and other coaches have already lost their jobs. And the fact of it is there's going to be more. Um, college basketball is a pure business. And if anybody tells you any different, I think they're lying in terms of, you know, whether it's an athletic director or president, of course they want the welfare of the, the student to be good. We all do. Uh, we want kids to go to class. We want kids to get educated. Everybody wants that. But the fact remains they built an arena with thousands of seats that has to be filled and that gets filled through winning. Uh, so it all circles back to, you know, the pressure to win supersedes all the other things that you're responsible for as a head coach. You are responsible for your team. You're responsible for your own conduct. Um, but if you're not making improvement and you're, you're stagnant um, and athletic directors see other teams, you know, get to the championship game or semifinal game, you know, the first question is, why can't we do it? I, I, athletic directors are looking not only at the season that a coach had or had, but what direction is the program going in their mind? And it's unsettling because you're affecting a family, the yeah. assistant coaches who make less than the head coach, their, their wives, their children. You know, they got to they gotta go to school the next day and their daddy don't have a job anymore. Uh, it, it's a tough deal. So when you look at a guy like Scott Sherry, who had a very good regular season record and a very bad postseason record, how do you evaluate that? Well, I think in the wood mid leagues, you really want to evaluate guys on how they do in their conference. Um, but eventually, and, and you've said this off the year, you know, you've got to win some games in the tournament. And if you coach long enough, you've got to win the tournament. And Scott's a very young coach in the game. What I think with a really bright future, he's very good. Um, it's distorted. Everybody puts, you know, value into what you do now. So they lose fact of your body of work. I would look at his body of work in the conference. Non-conference games are hard to judge, uh, you know, mid and low major coaches because they have to play those bye games. They yep. go to neutral courts and they, they play these high majors. Right, but they also get back D2 and D3 wins, which kind of neutralizes those Yeah, so I, I wouldn't even really look at the non-conference schedule. I would zero in on two things the conference play, and then the conference tournament. You have to look at the conference tournament because that's what it's all about in your league. It's it's how that league gets to the tournament. So uh, I don't know his 
postseason record, but you alluded to his regular season record was uh, positive. Very one. good regular season record, very bad postseason record. And, and that could have been the factor because it, the postseason can really make, uh, you know, athletic directors and school presidents antsy to make a change. So if you're a major school, it is very likely that Pittsburgh is going to have an opening. Mississippi is open right now. Who knows what else is going to open up in the coming days and weeks? Louisville, it seems unlikely that Paget's going to keep the job, but who knows? Maybe they make a run in New York. But if he's up you, nineteen right now. Yeah, in in the ACC tournament, and you're already giving his job away. Well, I mean, it's yeah, twenty wins. And I I think he's on the outside looking in, but who knows? When you're the administrator at that school and you're hiring a coach, what are you looking for? And what are you looking for in terms of not just the coach, but are you bringing in outside counsel to help you make that decision? I think you have to, especially today. Some athletic directors use a search firm, and I think search firms are good because they vet out a coach's past and history. They get a lot of opinions about that coach, and they give it to the athletic director. Search firms bring in five candidates for the AD to make the decision, but they vet out those five candidates. And search firms can ask questions the public universities can't. Yeah, and, and they get more information in a quicker fashion. Um, what are you looking for? I, I always say this. It's, it's go out and hire the best guy. Stop looking for a profile. A lot of schools will say, well, you know, we had an assistant here. Now we're going to go hire a former head coach or a sitting head coach. and they've Or somebody's had head coaches. And now, you know what? We want some new blood. We want a, an assistant coach. I'm not into the profile at all. I, I'm not into somebody who's young, somebody who's old. Who's the right guy to coach the games, recruit the players, lead the program, and, and be a model of, of consistency um, on the court, in the classroom, and be a person in the community that the school can be proud of? It's really not that hard to hire a basketball coach. I really think that ADs don't know coaches that well, so they don't know who to hire. But to me, it's who's the right guy for the job today and who can – lead us not only today but four or five years from now to me that that's what it's all about it's nothing else is important how about the reverse when you're a coach and you're looking at maybe improving your situation or if a job opens up what, what are the things that you would be looking at to say you know university x is a good fit for me because of this this and this well it depends what i have where i am right if, if i'm happy where i am and the place where i'm at wants to make me happier uh, not just financially, right. but financially to my staff and oh, maybe resources, or like you know, committing to better facilities and things. Better like that. facility, the Charlotte. They need a makeover for the facility there. You know, get more resources internally. Get more academic support. Um, you know, strength coach, trainer. Maybe get a nutritionist. We've never right. had someone to work with our team in nutrition. We're going to hire. Gym. Yeah, we're going to get a full time uh, nutritionist. We're going to get a practice gym. So, coaches, if they're happy you know, won't look to leave um, if, if they're in a good situation and that, that school wants to make it better. But, you know, coaches look at winning. I, I think they really do look at winning. People will say, well, they look at the money. But, you know, if you go to a program and get paid for five years uh, and then you're out because you're losing, I, I, coaches are too competitive for that. Yeah. I, I don't know very many coaches that just want to leave to a higher job and get paid. So if you're Steve Forbes at East Tennessee State and Charlotte calls – is that of interest to you? Absolutely not. I wouldn't go. And I know very little about East Tennessee State. I know a little more about Charlotte. Uh, he's been so successful there. They love him there. Um, I would not change 
yeah, uniform colors for that one. Okay. If you're going to jump, if you're going to go somewhere and take a chance, you're going to take a big chance, and you, you're going to go to a place where you can almost triple your salary uh, and still feel you can get the job done right. uh, to some capacity. But here's the problem, Dave. The vision of the school and the athletic director is usually out of whack of what the reality is of that job. How good is the job at Charlotte? That's an open-ended, subjective question. Um, I don't think it's a great job by any means. Like, for example, if, um, if Bob McKillop was to ever step down, I think Davidson is a great job. Um, even though it's now in the Atlantic 10, I, I still think it's a, a great job. What so, makes it a better job than Charlotte? Well, it's, it's got stability. It's got history. It's got tradition. They've proved that they can win there. Now, they've had the same coach for a long time who is – you know, we talk about Coach K and a lot of other guys. I'll put I'll put uh, Coach Bob McKillop with anyone in the country, same talent, any night of the week, any day. The guy's fabulous. Teacher, coach, mentor. He, he's the real deal. Um, so I, I, Charlotte has a lot of things that they have to change internally. They've got a new athletic director, but they need to give their coaches real resources, not lip service. Aesthetically, I, I don't think that facility in this day and age is, is nice compared to other facilities. Um, they have a practice gym, which is okay. Uh, I think it needs a lot of work. Now, with that said, if you get the right leadership and they hire a new athletic director uh, by the name of Hill, I believe. Yeah, Mike Hill. Mike Hill, and, and he gets his people around him. You know, now, now you can change things internally. And once you change things internally, then it becomes a more attractive job for, for a coach to want to take. I think Mike Hill came from Florida. Florida. Yeah, he yep. did. If you're an assistant at Florida, are you leaving Mike Whiteside to go to Charlotte? Well, you would because you know the athletic director. And that's a big part of the hiring process. If I'm a coach, you know, that's why I have a contract. But I want to believe and trust the person I work right. for. Don't we all? Yeah. You know, don't you want to believe and trust Mike? That's why we have a beard at CarCast. <laughs> It's true. So uh, an assistant in Florida who knows uh, White uh, Hill very well, yep. maybe he'll feel real comfortable. Maybe the assistant at Villanova wouldn't feel as comfortable because he doesn't know him. Right. Here's the pro Think about this as an athletic director. You wear many hats. You serve many people. You have to serve your president because that's the person who hired right. you. You have to s serve the academic people on campus. Because and the board of trustees. And the board of trustees. Yeah. You have to serve the booster who wants to write you a check for $100,000. You have to serve your head coach. You have to serve your players. It's really a thankless job. It's a really hard job uh, because some people just care about winning. Some people on campus just care that you have good kids and that your kids do well in school. Um, and it, it, there's just so many different uh, people that want a piece of you and tell you how to do your job. I always thought an athletic director was supposed to support and help the head coach, and do whatever he could do to make the experience and the team better. More resources for the team and, and, a, and a great quality of life. But that's not always the case. Reports out today that Becky Hammond, the assistant for the San Antonio Spurs, could be a lead candidate at Colorado State. Anyone that knows anything about her is aware that she is on the fast track to a major job, whether it be in college or in the NBA. She's been under the tutelage of Greg Popovich. She is respected across the game. If she takes a college opportunity, how will the reaction be from 
a school, a conference, a woman coaching men? Or have we evolved past that being a thing, or is that going to be a big deal? No, I think it'd be a really big deal. Um, but I think she can, she'll do a great job. I don't. I, I just think we have to get used to those type of things in the year 2018. What did I say earlier? Just hire the right. Per is she the right person? Is she the person that can lead your basketball program to winning, recruiting, you know, good character kids to do to do the gamut to, to public relations, to go meet with boosters? Um, you know, can she do the job? And, and then, yes, there's going to be a huge discussion right. of a, a woman coaching men um, college basketball. I mean, because it's never, it's never been done, right? No, but never been done. And it probably helps that. She's an alum of the school. Right. Yeah. I mean, men coach women. It doesn't seem to be an issue. Gino Ariyama seems to be succeeding. Right. So there's your point. But this is going. This would be the first time. Right. Am I right on that? I think at the Division One yeah. level. Yeah. yeah. So I don't even know Division Two or Three. A woman who coaches men's ball as the head coach. I, I don't know. What, what about the Tubby Smith? stuff yesterday first he comes out with his two cents on the way things are going right now and then the reports begin to surface that maybe he's on his way out and penny hardaway is on his way in what do you make of all of that well the first thing is is first of all i have great respect for tubby smith how could you not because i know him as a person and he is the person that you want your son around or you want to work for a guy like tubby smith and Guys that win national championships don't grow on trees. They don't. And, and he's had enormous success everywhere he went because Minnesota and Texas Tech, okay, Chris Beard's done a phenomenal Tough job. Tough jobs. They're, they're not the easiest jobs in college basketball. He gets those teams to the postseason. Memphis is probably, though not having a great year, they've probably had a better year than you might have expected. Well, when Josh Pastner left, um, you know, things when one coach leaves, another coach comes in, the rosters change, and it's hard to have a good team right away unless somebody leaves you a great team. Like I, I think Billy Donlin at Wright State mm -hmm. left Scott Nagy, you know, some really good pieces, and Nagy did a phenomenal job coaching last night and all season long. Uh, so Tubby's comments. He was talking about, the transfers, there's so many of them, he's, he thinks that we are enabling kids to quit. And that, not that they're quitters, not every kid is a quitter, but the process, the policy is saying, you know what, if you want to quit, go ahead, go run somewhere else and run away from your problems. And he reverted back to the days, you know, right. when his father taught him those lessons of not quitting. So I don't think he was calling kids quitters, but he was saying, you know what, it's real easy to quit right now. And and we're too easy on our kids. You've heard Frank Martin say things like that. It's like, yep. if, if we're going to be easy on them, then it's our fault. we got to be tough on them. Uh, if Tubby could take back his words, I know he had the chance to and he didn't. But, um, you know, there's a, there's a truth to what he's saying. I, maybe it's how he phrased it and uh, that didn't come out right. So, look. Kids sometimes need to transfer. Sometimes kids need to get away from certain coaches. Right. Uh, sometimes they don't fit into a certain scheme. And you know what? Tubby's right. Sometimes a kid will go somewhere. He's not who he thought he was, and there's more competition than he wants. And he leaves to go down a level because it's you know better for him. I wouldn't call that somebody a quitter. I just I would say that's somebody who sees a better path for himself. But there are kids that I know that have went to a school and after a half semester leave quitting on themselves uh, you know maybe but that's what they think is best for them I do think a kid has a right to transfer whenever he wants wherever he wants 
I still think a kid should sit, though, because it's not a penalty, but I think it's a growing experience if you sit after that year you transfer. And what about Penny Hardaway, who's coaching a high school team? Yeah, and he's doing a really good job. Penny, he's, But he's coaching a high school team. Now yeah. he wants to move up to a high D1. Yeah, and that rumor has been around sure. uh, before it actually came out. I caught wind of that rumor a couple of weeks ago, uh, but I thought it was speculation, and, and now it's, it's still speculation. Uh, Penny's a terrific coach. He can coach talent because he coaches high major kids on the summer circuit for Team Penny, and he also coaches Memphis East. He has the number one player in the class of 2019 on his team, James Wiseman. Uh, but that adjustment, I, and I can read what you're saying, is going to be very difficult if he goes from a head high school coach to a college coach. Penny's been in the high school game, college game, but in the pro game. He's never been a coach at the college level as an assistant. I think that would serve him well to be an assistant first, then to be a head coach. Uh, sort of like Kevin Ollie did with, with Jim Calhoun. Yeah. That would be a Big, big adjustment for Penny Hardaway. That's all I can say. Right, but if Larry Brown is sitting by his side, maybe then you have some guidance a little bit like when we saw uh, Steve Lavin go to UCLA and he had Gene Cady there. Yes, yes. Um, you mean St. John's. St. John's. Um, yeah, I think you needed somebody like a Larry Brown, a steady hand, a heavy hand, uh, somebody who's going to be brutally honest with you, and, and you have to be open enough to make the changes that that person is the suggesting. Idea, the idea that you would fire... Tubby Smith, who has accomplished an awful lot and hire Penny Hardaway is sort of incredible. But if you believe he can bring in that Memphis high school talent, maybe that's the way the game is moved. Well, that moves the needle. Look, one of the two or three requirements as a head coach is you have to be able to evaluate and recruit. Um, and I think Penny is so well-liked, so well-connected in Memphis. He could bring a higher level of talent. Now, can he develop that talent? Can he go out on the recruiting trail? And maybe he doesn't have to leave Memphis right. to get players. But, you know, then when he's got 12 players from Tennessee in his locker room and they're not happy, uh, they may not care that he's Penny Hardaway, one of the 50 greatest players of all time. So he's going to have to manage the egos, manage the players, manage a staff, deal with the media, oversee academics, it's a totally different job. Co coaching college basketball is so different than coaching in high school or coaching in the pros. You referenced earlier about athletic directors wearing many hats, but you know the same can be said for a head coach. And you just talked about Penny Hardaway coming back. How much is the pressure to to try to win, not just because you want to win, but to fill the seats, to put an entertaining product together? And one of the things that might be interesting for Memphis is you bring in Penny Hart. Uh, you know, maybe that helps. I mean, obviously they have you know good support there, but that that pressure not of just coaching, but then you have to worry about stuff that's external, which I think is something Pat Kelsey at Winthrop does really well is engaging students and and trying to build a really great atmosphere. Yeah, so it kind of he does helps it, helps his team when they need a lift in a game. I mean, Penny will come in. There would be a huge surge of enthusiasm. Season tickets would be bought. I mean, it it it's a splash, right? It's it's what do they call it? A press conference hire? Winning the press conference. Yeah. Okay. What will I? believe that he'll do really well i think he'll bring in really good talent i think he'll bring in american conference or high major type talent you know can he get that talent to coexist yeah. um, can he run a program from a to z uh, he'd have to hire a tremendous staff before we let you go people are going to be filling out their brackets in the next week they want to have that one upset that one team 
Who is it that you're going to tell people come Sunday and Monday? And we don't have the bracket in front of us. We don't have the 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 matchups yet. Right. But who are you eyeing that people might not be talking about that could could bust a bracket, whether it be go to the Sweet 16 or maybe it's a low major, just upset somebody? All right. I'm going to go Houston to get to the Sweet 16. I'm going to go on record saying that. Uh, I think they'll, whoever they face in those first two games, uh, Calvin Sampson, who just got named, actually, the uh, American Coach of the Year. Hard to believe it wasn't Mick Cronin. Hard to believe. It, it was. A, it's a great coaching conference. We talked about Tubby and Greg Marshall. Uh, how about um, Mike Dunleavy yeah. at Tulane? He took them from the bowels of the American Conference to the middle. Um, LIU Brooklyn. Wow. All right, they're going to break a bracket. They're going to make an upset. My boy Derek Kellogg. Got fired at UMass, got hired at LIU Brooklyn, goes dancing, and it's going to upset someone. I, I really believe that they'll have a chance to upset. And um, I, I watched Wright State last night, my old school, and I thought Nagy's team is is fantastic. And, and they have a chance to maybe pull off a first-round win. It appears they're going to be good for a couple of years. That big football player turned basketball player, I think he's a freshman. He looked terrific. Yeah, Wright State's football team hasn't lost a game in about 30 years because <laughs> they don't have one. <laughs> kind of like Winthrop's football team. All right, yeah. We always like to have a little bit of fun too, so we'll, we'll end on this because Paul and I grew up probably eight miles from each other. I grew up in Arlington. You grew up in East Boston. And whenever I meet people from East Boston, the big question is, what's your favorite pizza place there in East Boston? Are you a Santarpio's guy? Like, what's, what's your... Yeah, well, there's not much there. But I, if, if I had to pick a restaurant in East Boston, right now I'd pick Reno's. Is that correct, the name Reno's? Reno's? Yeah, it's really good. It's near Santarpio's. And I used to be a busboy in Javelli's. So I, I like that in Day Square. But, you know, if you're going to get pizza in East Boston, I mean... Santapio's is the place to go. All right, so if, we, if Winthrop plays like BU or Harvard or BC next year, Dave, we're doing the Bearded Car Cast from there. Right, well, our experience is they've played in that area so much know, over, our, over our time there. It's not going to. How, how about a recommendation in uh, Dayton where Winthrop plays frequently or Hampton, Virginia? That That's where we tend to go. Well, let me ask you guys a question before we go. Where do you think Radford will be in the seating? Right now, I would say they high candidate for the play-in game, right? Unless there's some other. Uh, I, mean, gonna, it, I think they're going to be a 16. I don't know if they'll be in the a play -in 16 game or, or a play-in. Yeah, it, it's somewhere on that bubble. It depends who yeah. wins some of these lower conferences. I mean, they really could have used to see Cleveland State win last night because that would have pushed them maybe out of the play-in game. But yeah, they they might be a 16. I mean, you can't possibly believe that they have a chance to beat a number one seed, do you? No, I. I no, they had a phenomenal season. Unbelievable. And uh, they just they struggled to score, as some of these teams in the league do, except for uh, Winthrop and Asheville. Uh, Radford goes into some scoring droughts, and, and if they, Jones and Polite aren't scoring. I mean, uh, if they played Virginia in the first round, could they win a 42-41 type game? You know, for me, um, I thought about this this morning about Radford. Hicks? And Fields, yeah. the three-point shooters, they have to make shots for them to be yep. in the game right, against right, anybody. Right. I think Carly Jones will play okay, and he, he could have a, a bad game because he's still a freshman. Polite will be overwhelmed with you know bodies and athleticism right. at that age at that that stage. I, I don't see Radford beating anybody in the first but round. But just to get it clear, but they can be you competitive. Like Michigan State sure. to win the national title, Houston go to the Sweet Sixteen, and LIU Brooklyn to potentially. I mean, we, we we know they're a big long shot, but but if someone's going to pull an upset as a 14, 15, 16, maybe LIU Brooklyn. I'm going with the okay. I'm going with my boy Derek Kellogg. Thanks for joining us. I loved it, guys. Thank you.
I kind of like being in the kitchen, Dave, for the bearded car cast. I mean, we love being on the road, don't get me wrong. But, you know, you don't have to worry about other drivers, like, cutting you off. Or you don't have to worry about uh, police tailing you in case you're going too fast. Getting we don't over. have to be going to Farmville or... <laughs> points unknown, right? Or points unknown to a lot of people that will be listening to this. is probably the better way to put it. We would like to thank... Paul Biancardi uh, for, from ESPN for joining us on the podcast today. It was a lot of fun getting his thoughts. And, of course, we'll, we'll, this won't be the uh, last time we talk to Paul. No, but next week it'll be just you and I, probably Monday, breaking down brackets. I was just saying to my wife yesterday, I go, this week and next week are the two weeks in the year I don't know where they go. Like somehow at the end of the week, I do absolutely nothing helpful to my life. I accomplish very little, but by the end of it, I know an enormous amount about every single team in the NCAA tournament. I usually do my hit with our friend Damon Amendolara at CBS Sports Radio. I get involved in all sorts of different bracket games and player pools. And next week, we'll just tee it up, break down brackets, talk about teams, try to find some upsets, some favorite coaches, some good and bad with everybody. It should be a lot of fun. So before you fill out your bracket, make sure to listen to the Bearded Carcast. And don't forget to email us, beardedcarcast at outlook.com. And of course, we always like to share what our uh, what our our loyal faithful listeners chime in with. And Larry uh, emailed in. We actually didn't get to this last week, Dave. He said, "I just finished listening to the in studio episode. Really enjoyed it as always. That was episode ten. Uh, the one comment I have is I couldn't agree more with Dave about NASCAR. I had uh, an argument many times with my friend Clint, who you and I both know. I just don't get it." Why watch people drive around in circles? I'm not going to waste four hours hoping there's an awesome wreck. I'll see that on SportsCenter. He also agrees with the length of the baseball season. His brother-in-law, a diehard baseball fan, gets giddy when the pitchers and catchers report. So uh, it's good that uh, a good friend, Larry, who we used to work with at Winthrop, is listening. And we, we encourage you to, to right. chime in and, as well. And, and for him, he'll appreciate there was no discussion of NASCAR or baseball today. And now that we're in the middle of madness, there, there'll be no discussion of that next week. And then we'll be getting ready for the Sweet 16. So we can ensure none of that the following week. Maybe getting a little preseason baseball stuff around the Final Four. But uh, we, we can be uh, safely NASCAR-free for the next several weeks. Well... And I have something I'm going to tell you off air because uh, I have something about that that uh, I think will be a fun little segment, uh, a fun NASCAR guest who can actually talk a lot about a different, a lot of different sports as well. I may be on vacation that week. <laughs> no, you're in. You're in. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Paul Biancardi for joining us. You can join the show at Bearded Carcast on Twitter. Use the hashtag Bearded Carcast. Bearded Carcast at Outlook.com. For Dave, I'm Mike. Thanks to Paul. Join us next time for another episode of the Bearded Carcast.